ever get away with this. For one thing, you're doing it incredibly badly. Blimey, everyone's a critic. One can hardly help it in the circumstances, madam. What an oversight, for example, that you are allowing witnesses to survive. What? I've merely pointed out the flaws in your plot, madam. And also in the characterization. You may be wearing masks and so on, but a mask cannot conceal... Oh, built up! Everyone's out here? Right, don't look so worried, dear. You may be a nobody working for peanuts in a bank, but think what you'll be able to tell your grandchildren. I saw the Alders Gate stick up. <laughs> Come on, boys, let's get these bells out of here. You were, boss. Come Inspector Steve by Lynn Truss. Episode 2, His Last Review. Brighton in the 1950s. A place of knickerbocker glories, beatniks, villains, teddy boys, illicit sex, end of the peer shows, theatrical landladies, crooked seaside photographers, and an enormous number of unsolved murders. Why were there so many unsolved murders in Brighton in the 1950s? There are several theories, but none of them, in my opinion, points quite in the right direction. The right direction being the legendary Inspector Steam. Alexandra Palace to hear a fascinating talk on law and the little man from our regular expert, Inspector Steen of the Brighton Constabulary. He will discuss tonight a little-known law concerning the offence of entering or travelling on a public vehicle with a cumbersome article without the consent of an authorised person. Good evening. Yes, I know what you must be thinking. How can anyone talk for 15 minutes about the Public Service Vehicles Regulations, Conduct of Drivers, Conductors and Passengers, 1936? But take this situation. In May 1947, when I was still in the Metropolitan Police, a woman named Mrs. Fobbergill needed to deliver a bundle of billiard cues to an address in the vicinity of Ladbrook Grove. Now... Perhaps the most high profile of all Inspector Steen's investigations around this time concerned what came to be known as the blood on the plush case. It all started one June morning when Constable Twitten and I were at the station perusing the Police Gazette. All right, here we are. Libra. You are judicious and high-minded by nature. Gosh. But on the downside, you are an impractical airside and probably haven't polished your own cuffs or oiled your truncheon for at least two weeks. That's uncanny. Lucky colour blue. Gosh. Lucky word bunce. I say. Lucky direction to be proceeding in. Westerly. Oh. Morning all. Mrs. Groins, you've seen the inspector. It, it says here his lucky biscuit is the custard cream and he wouldn't want information like that kept from him. He had a gent with him when I came through, working ever so hard to impress him and all. I reckon I know him from somewhere too, but I can't think where. Now, a cup of tea, dears. 
Brunswick. Sir? Good morning, sir. Look, Brunswick, quick. Do you know anything about some new play at the Theatre Royal? Uh, uh, won't be a minute. It's called um, A Bob in the Slot or something. A big pardon, sir. It's called A Shilling in the Meter, sir. Oh, that's it, that's it. Why haven't I heard of it? It's by that northern bloke who's always on the telly. Jack Braithwaite. Braithwaite? He wears his turtleneck, sir. Really? On the telly. Ugh. The play concerns the frustrated energy of youth in post-war Britain, sir, which is symbolised in the play by a gas fire that keeps going out on an endless, dark February Sunday afternoon. They're saying in critical circles that the great, well-crafted three-act plays by playwrights such as Terence Vatigan and J.B. Priestley are about to be blown to matchwood by this hurricane-force new spirit of naturalism and grit, sir. That's what they're saying in critical circles, is it, Tritton? Well, yes, sir. Uh, that's uh, what I've heard, sir. Uh, what, you as well? Everyone's saying it, I think you'll find, sir. Yes, all right, all right. They talk of nothing else down to Princess Alice. I said all right. Cup of tea, dear. No. Steve! Oh. It would help matters, Steve, hmm. if this place hadn't last been whitewashed just around the time of the siege of Sebastopol. <laughs> Very good, yes. I suppose it does have a certain um, Napoleonic... Uh, <laughs> Huh? May I introduce Sergeant Brunswick? Sir? Here is Constable Twitton, Sir? our trusty Cockney charlady, Mrs. Groynes. Oh, yeah. uh, this is A.S. Cook of the Sunday Herald. <laughs> He's here for the phenomenally significant opening night, and I can't tell you how much I've been looking forward to it myself, of A Shilling in the Meter by Mr. Jim... Jack um, Braithwaite. Oh, yeah, precisely, Jack Braithwaite. It will be execrable, of course. <laughs> Fashionable, dreary tripe. I've written most of my review already. My main point will be that instead of putting the shilling in the meter, he should give the bomb to a boy scout to write the play for him. <laughs> <laughs> but I may think of nothing even more devastatingly amusing when I've actually seen it. No, 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 but, but surely, Cook, um, in critical circles, they're saying this play is a kind of hurricane that will blow to match. Them. I am critical circle, Steen, so I can assure you they're saying no such thing. Tell me... Did you manage to catch the much-trumpeted clogs on the Battistones last year at the Adelphi Club? Um, no. Do you know why you didn't see it, Steen? And why thousands and thousands of other little people such as yourself did not see it? I couldn't get tickets. Speak up. I couldn't get tickets. I closed it. My review had that dreary heap of northern grit shoveled off the pavements of our dear theatrical capital city within a fortnight. It was a searing review, sir. Legendary. Three of the cast gave up the business and the director went to live in Finland. I've got a feeling we've met, dear. No, I don't think so. You're all so familiar. When you and I first met, Steen, hmm. ten whole years ago, I was a humble assistant bank manager. Principal eyewitness in the Aldersgate stick-up. Oh. Yeah, sadly, that case is still open. Whereas now, the theatrical world quakes at my approach, Steen. It positively quakes. Yes. The Aldersgate stick-up? Would that have been in or around Aldersgate, dear? Well, it's quite a famous case, actually. I was forever making appeals to the public for more information. What sort of information were you asking for, sir? Well, for a start, who'd done it? You're right, Mrs. G. You look a bit pale. Um, me, dear? Right as rain, dear. Well, all this standing around jawing won't get the clean air bill passed and dramatically improve it to stroke the regrettably poor respiratory health of the post-war British populace now, will it? <laughs> so, last time of asking, any more for any more? No, 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 no. Oh, oh. I'm off. Good heavens. Steve, there's something I should... Oh, well, I can't tell you how much I'm looking forward to this play, Cook. I really can't. <laughs>
I'm not going. It could be a landmark evening in the history of British theatre, sir. It might possibly, Brunswick, but on the other hand, I've missed all the others. I mean, he was quite a nice man when he was just a witness, you know, whereas now, look, my hand's shaking. What I mainly felt about him, sir, if I may say so, what mm. I mainly felt mm. was that I wanted to knock him about. Oh, I know. And I would have let you, don't worry. He does get attacked quite regularly at parties and so on, sir. Really, Twitten? Hmm. Why am I not surprised that you know all about it? Sorry, sir, but it's often in the papers, you see. He has wine poured over him and people deliberately snapping his spectacles. Gosh, sir, perhaps we should offer him police protection. Are you volunteering? Oh, you wouldn't do that to him, sir. Uh, no, Tritton, how would you like a trip to the theatre tonight? What? How would I like to accompany a famous critic to the first night of a Jack Braithwaite play just to protect him from theatre-goers or playwrights? Oh, sir. What do you think, Brunswick? Shall we let him? Oh, sir. Oh, sir. That fire's <laughs> gone out again. We can keep each other warm, Johnny. <laughs> we don't need no shilling. This is jolly good, isn't it, Mr. Cock? Shh! Oh, sorry, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> and you can take your helmet off as well, young man. Gosh, yes, sorry, I forgot. Shh! Sorry. Shh! Sorry. Shh! At least I bring home a bit of money. And that makes it all right. You don't spend all day on the back seat of a tram, back and forth to Elephant and Castle all day, just watching your girl collect the fares from blokes she doesn't even know. <laughs> any more for any more? Any more for any more? Makes me sick. Don't help me. Oh, come here, Ruby, but turn off the waterworks. I can't stand it. There's a good girl. And stop ironing. You're always ironing. I'm sorry, Johnny. I'll stop. There. I've unplugged it and everything. And don't you start knitting, neither. You know how that makes me mad when I'm trying to concentrate on my darts practice. Show me your darts, Johnny. You're ever so good. All right. Constable. I will have to rush off at the end of the play to telephone my review. But I need to tell you something. Something happened at the police station today. What are you doing now, Ruby? Just a bit I want of you to tell Inspector Steen, but not until I left town. Do you understand? Me? Certainly, sir. But lives could enough. be at stake. Do you know what it's like living with you, Ruby? It's like living with an ant. I'm going mad here. At the station today, I heard a voice I recognized. A voice from the past. Do you understand what I'm saying, Twitter? I want someone to tell me about books and beautiful things. Who will inspire me to write a great book myself? And you're making a rug. Today, I a heard rug a voice I haven't heard since the day of the infamous Walder's Gate sticker. I'm afraid I can't hear you very well, sir. His voice. It was saying the same words. It said, any more for any more. I'm sorry, sir. What did the voice say? Oh, for heaven's sake, boss. It said, any more for... Any more, sir? making some nets. I was only 
Is the same with you, Brunswick. Permission to go undercover, sir. Permission to go undercover. It's your answer to everything. I just happen to have ascertained that the position of prompt boy is vacant, sir. And quickly checking back through Cook's reviews, every single member of the cast had a personal motive for killing him, sir. They were on stage, Brunswick. But they have loved ones. And what about the playwright and the director? You heard it from Cook himself, sir. He was loathed by the people in the theatre. Who else would want to kill him? If I got inside the business, I could learn so much. Look, how many times have you gone undercover in the past year, Brunswick? Twenty-seven, sir. And how many times has it resulted in useful evidence? Well, my cover keeps getting blown, sir. All right, I'll put it another way. How many times have you been shot or otherwise wounded by the villains among whom I begged you not to go undercover? Twenty-seven, sir, but I've been very unlucky. Do you remember the last time I refused to let you go undercover? Sir. It was the day of the Middle Street Massacre, Brunswick. Had you gone undercover that day, you would almost certainly have been killed. That's so unfair, sir. Oh, don't sulk, Brunswick. I forbid you to go undercover as a prompt boy at the Theatre Royal, oh. so you can take that cloth cap off right now. Sir. And the muffler. Oh, and sir. And the wig and sideburns. And the suede oh. shoes. It all looks very odd with your tunic in any case. Come in. Ah. You wanted to see me, sir? Yeah, yeah, come in, Twitten. Now, young chap, we'll leave aside your conspicuous failure to keep Cook alive, mainly because we all loathed him, but having said that, you should still be very grateful I'm such an enlightened superior officer that I'm letting you help with this case in some small way. Hmm? Now, can you think of some small way you could help us with this case, Twitten? Oh, sir, may I go undercover, sir? No! You may not go undercover! What is it with modern policing? Look, just tell me again what he said before he was stabbed, Twitten. It was very hard to hear, sir, with all the shushing going on. But I'm sure he said he heard a voice at the station that he hadn't heard since the day of the Aldersgate stick-up. Ah. Ah, you see, that's odd, isn't it? Because, I mean, he surely hears my voice on the wireless every week, doesn't he? Everyone else does. It, it, it doesn't make sense. I don't think he meant you, sir. Well, who else met him here? Only the three of us. That's right. And Mrs. Groins, sir. All oh, right, Mrs. Groins. I mean, look... This is just a hunch. Do you think it was because he was talking that he got murdered? People do get quite annoyed if someone talks during a play. I think it's more customary to tap someone on the shoulder than stab them with a knife, sir. Hmm. Hmm. Oh, well, I've got a feeling about this case, Brunswick. What's that, sir? That it will resist all our efforts to solve it. That will make a change, sir. I just think we shouldn't get our hopes up, you know. Oh, besides, he was completely ghastly, wasn't he? Still feel a bit sick from yesterday. Oh, anyway, here's the plan. You go to the theatre and interview everyone, Brunswick. I'll see the play tonight. And Twitten... Now, what can we get young Twitten here to do? Sir, shall I find out from the box office records who was sitting in the seat behind, sir? 
And shall I go through the old records of the Aldersgate stick-up to see whether there's any mention of a significant voice? Oh, and shall I make a list of all the people Cook has insulted in the past six months, sir? Oh, I, I know, I know. Shall I also find out from his secretary, the Herald, whether he has ever received death threats? No one likes a clever Dick Twitton. Isn't that true, Sergeant? I don't know, sir. I don't think I've ever met one before. I should explain about Steen's aversion to undercover operations. My theory is that he was actually confused by them. When I came back to the station dressed like a bookie's runner, he would be quite suspicious for some time afterwards that I was actually a bookie's runner rather cleverly impersonating a police sergeant. Of course, it was true that undercover work was dangerous. More times than I can remember, I'd just be on the point of getting material evidence when someone passing by would recognise me and innocently blow my cover. <laughs> it was usually Mrs. Groin's blesser. And then out would come the Stanley knives and the villains would scarper and that would be that. Oh, it was a good life. Can you account for your movements between 9.15 and 9.30, madam? And were you aware of any commotion in the stalls? Apart from that, what did you think of the play? Would you recognise this woman again, sir? And what were her exact words? Really? Gosh, that's very interesting. Could you describe the hat, do you think? I'll go straight to the shop. This is very helpful. The deceased was not a popular man, was he? Did, did you ever get a review from him yourself? He didn't say that. He actually used that word. Oh, that's shocking. No, I'm really shocked. He really said that. If you ever find yourself considering a change to the way you run the box office, I think I can see at once a better way of doing it. Can I have your autograph for my nephew? He loved you in Genevieve. This is a lovely false beard, sir. May I inquire where you got it? You see, I like a bit of nose putty myself, but I can never prevent it from slipping off. May I borrow these files, sir? This is dashed important. Well, I was never actually on the stage, no. Oh, I like that. I see, yes. Thank you so much, Miss Johnson. You've been so very helpful. If you would send all the threatening letters in a big box on the noon train, I'll collect them from the station myself. You don't sound too upset, if I may say so. Who's this? Go on, who's this? <laughs> well, well, it was meant to be Robert Newton, but you, you might be right. files aren't very well organized mrs goins you're very keen aren't you dear oh here we are the oldest gate stick up let's see let's see gosh and that was the exact line in the play no wonder it jogged mr cook's memory oh it's a good job some of us have got some brains cup of tea oh, thank you mrs g the inspector said i could help in some small way you see so i'm just doing a little bit of research I won a prize in Hendon for forensic observation, you know. Yes, I do know, dear. You told us on your first day with practically your first breath. Honest, it's like having Sherlock Holmes in our very midst. <laughs> Does that bore you, Mrs. Groins? Me, dear? No, dear. Can I ask, do you remember the Aldersgate stick-up? Of course, dear. It's one of them unsolved cases that the inspector's so proud of. Now, I hope you're not going to solve it for him after all this time, dear. I warn you, he'll be very disappointed. And then, just because this girl is making a rug, he goes berserk. Starts chucking things about like a gorilla in a zoo and calling her an ant. That's modern theatre, sir. And she was going to have his child and they weren't even married. 
Isn't there a law about that? No, it's just a play, sir. Brunswick, is there something different about your nose? Oh. Morning, Fritton. Morning, sir. I am, sir. Sir, I have reason to believe that I have made considerable progress in the case, sir. I think you ought to know, Constable, that people have actually started calling you Clever Dick Tritton around the station. And I started it. It doesn't bother me, sir. Really? Well, well, carry on. In the play, sir, you may remember that towards the end, Johnny mimics Ruby's bus conductor call. Any more for any more? It was at this juncture on Tuesday night that Mr. Cook's memory was jogged, sir. I expect you are asking yourself why. Am I? Going back through the records of the Aldersgate stick-up, I found that these exact words were uttered by the masked female bank robber after she had fired a warning shot and winged one of the security guards. Her exact words were, um, All right, you lot. All this standing around drawing won't put the art back on the walls of the National Gallery now, will it? Now, any more for any more. I think she was referring to the fact that during the war, National Gallery's priceless art collection was kept down coal mines in Wales for safety, sir. Really? On account of the bombs, sir. Ah, and at this point, you see, it had yet to be returned. Doubtless. So it was a topical wartime reference, sir. Good heavens. But the point is, Cook's memory was jogged when he heard those words again in the play, any more for any more. And he remembered something he had heard at the station. Oh, now, what? I... I'm so sorry, dears. I was just about to dust in here. Oh, carry on, Mrs. Grimes. Won't be long. Tritton thinks he's solved the case. Oh, and he's worked very hard, he has, dear. So you be nice to him. <laughs> so, Tritton, uh, you've established that Cook remembered something during the play. Now, how far did you get with the person sitting in the seat behind? Well, it was a woman, sir. The original purchaser of the seat, D18, was a Mr. Hannington. Anything to do with Hannington's department store, I posed as a hosiery assistant there once. I went by the name of Ian. Oh, no. Sorry, carry on. Well, sir, uh, by a lucky coincidence, the witness is connected with the store. The point is, sir, that at the time of the murder, he wasn't sitting in the seat that he had booked. A mysterious woman in a very distinctive white fur hat had approached him at the beginning of the evening and given him five pounds to swap seats. She said she needed to sit nearer so that she could hear. Really? Five pounds to hear better? I'd have given ten pounds not to hear it at all. Oh, uh, I'm a clear uh, Mrs. Grimes, sorry, could you just... I'm so sorry, dear, yes. Thank you. He said that she was about five feet four inches in height, attractive, blonde, around 45 years old, had a nice face and a very distinctive voice, and was wearing, as I said, a white fur hat, which he actually recognised because it had been sold from Hannington's. Oh, Mrs. Oh, Grimes. Mrs. Grimes, you're right. Oh, I'm so sorry. No, I'm done. I'm done. Right, right, carry on. Good. You know, good grief, I, I feel quite strange. Can you feel it, Brunswick? Oh, I can, sir. Yeah, it's as if you're actually moving towards a solution to a crime. I don't, I don't think I've ever felt it before. It's it. Well, it's quite exciting. So, I went along to Hannington's, and they are searching their records now for the name of the woman who bought the hat. And I think it will turn out to be the stick-up woman, sir, who silenced him before he could tell me what he so strangely remembered was at the station yesterday morning. Doubtless his memory jogged by being with you again, sir. Brunswick? What do you think of Tritton's work? It's pretty astonishing. And all without going undercover. Oh, I'm very happy for him, sir. I looked at all the threatening letters, sir, but I no longer think the murder was related to Mr. Cook's professional unpopularity, sir. Sergeant Brunswick, sir, has something happened to your nose? Yeah. Well, all this standing around jawing won't clear up the recent catastrophic outbreak of myxomatosis in the rabbit population, will it, dear? I'm off. But, oh, I nearly forgot, Inspector, this came for you. Oh, what is it? Well, I think it's a confession, dear, to the murder of that critic bloke. I'm too busy in my own doings to follow everything that goes on in here. The confession? Was it handed in by a woman in a fur hat? Oh, it's from Ronnie the Nurk. Oh, no. What? Ronnie the Nurk again? 
He's only just out on bail for the headless body on the pier. Well, Ronnie is a very bad boy, and a bit easily led, if you know what I mean. Sorry, dear. What does it say, Inspector? Yeah, it's all here, Twitten. Sorry. I done the critic. It was me acting alone. I am a fanatical, with two N's, devotee of the theatre, and I deplore the unfair things what A.S. Cook wrote in his newspaper about the clogs on the batty stones. Someone had to put a stop to this vile man, and it was me, signed Ronnie the Nurk. Well, I'm stunned. So am I, sir. I was so sure I was on the right track. Poor Twitten, eh? Now all this feels good, though, doesn't it? How's the banana split? Oh, very good, sir. Nothing better than banging up Ronnie the Nurk again to make the world seem a safer place. I could bang him up every week, couldn't you? I worked in here once. Huh? Washing up. I posed as Claudio from Milano. I had to dye all the air on my arms. I don't remember any operations in here, Brunswick. <clears throat> ah. Well, that was splendid, sir. Mm. Ah, poor Twitten, all that wasted work. <laughs> Do you have an idea yet for your talk this week, sir? Yes, yes. I, I thought I'd talk about the Aldersgate stick-up and how the only surviving witness had now been murdered for his outspoken dramatic opinion, so the last link to the perpetrators had gone. I thought I'd emphasise the irony. Only I can't quite find any. Oh, that's a shame, sir. Yes. Hmm. <clears throat> mm. Oh. Isn't it nice here? Oh, look! What? On the seafront, look, there's Mrs. Groins with her grandson, Dickie. Oh, hello, Mrs. Groins. Oh, I don't think she's seen us, sir. Oh. Uh, Mrs. Groins! Yoo-hoo! Oh, what a lovely white fur hat. Oh, yes, she's seen you, sir. <laughs> look, she's waving. Oh, yes. <laughs> a nice hat, Mrs. Groins. Nice hat! In Inspector Steen by Lynn Truss, Inspector Steen was played by Michael Fenton-Stevens, Mrs. Groins, Jan Ravens, Brunswick, John Ram, Twitten, Matt Green, Cook, Alan Corduna, BBC announcer, David Holt, Johnny, Jason Hughes, and Ruby, Carolyn Backhouse. The music was by Anthony May. The producer was Karen Rose. It was a Sweet Talk production for BBC Radio 4.